Ubud, I was blessed by that music. Amen. Amen. At this time, if any preschoolers would like to go to the preschool class, you're welcome to. You're welcome to stay in the sanctuary as well. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you turn in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 2. And before we begin, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for that music that we have seen the light. And Father, we've left the darkness to walk in your glorious, marvelous light. And God, once we've taken a jump into the light, we never want to crawl in the darkness anymore. So Father, in those areas of our lives where there's still darkness, please reveal that to us and help us grow to be more like Jesus. In those areas where we fall short of you, Father, forgive us and make us more like your son, Jesus. And Father, as we open up your word today, help it to change us, help it to speak to us, help us to be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place, and we bind every strategy of the enemy against us. And we pray that you would speak to us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. We've been going through a series called, somebody tell me what it's called, Holy Hope. And a lot of times you don't see those two words go together. When you think of holiness, you often don't think of hope. But as we read in First Peter, we see no matter what the circumstances are, you can have hope. And because of that hope, it changes the way you live your life. You want to live to be more like Christ, more holy. Lori and I have two Australian Labradoodles named Dolce and Gracie. Here's a sideways picture of them. Um, they're, they're fun dogs, and we've had them for a year. And one thing about the dogs is I, I still have that uh, kid in me where I want to play tricks on them. So the other day I was grilling out steak, and in their little red Kong, uh, some of you know what a Kong is, it's like this um, plastic thing with a hole in the middle, and they're supposed to get the food out, but... Uh, I realized they're probably not going to be able to get this piece of steak out. So they were fighting over the piece of steak, and they kept on going after it. And they couldn't get it out because the piece of steak was too big and the hole was too small. And after they had gotten exasperated with trying to get the steak out of the Kong, I unscrewed the Kong and gave them each a little piece of steak, which they loved. And I was their best friend for the rest of that day, at least. And... um, Later on, I began to think about it, and I was talking to Lori. I said, you know, often I feel sometimes like my dogs, uh, Gracie and Dolce, because a lot of times the Lord has great things in front of us, but in our own efforts and our own energy, we wrestle with it. And it's, we can see it through this little hole, but it just seems like we can't get there. And often God has to teach us that we can't do it in our own strength, just like the dogs can never get the piece of steak out of that little hole. We need God's grace to make it through another day. And today we're going to read a passage in First Peter chapter 2 where when you read it, it seems like, man, that's a struggle. Um, areas where we struggle. And then God says, listen, you can't do it on your own strength. You're going to need my grace to get through. So we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it will be on the screen. And as we read this, I want you guys to understand this is uh, often the Bible will set up a standard that sometimes it's hard to live by, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we obtain it. So he says, therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit, 
hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I love that. Instead of drinking out of the polluted fountains of this world, take a big drink from God's word because it's pure word and it will help you grow. Verse 4, it says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, like living stones, are being built up to a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice that phrase, through Jesus Christ. It says, therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. Before we read verse 9, a lot of you can understand this because have you ever met somebody that you knew and that you really appreciated that person, but people who didn't know that person You're like, you just don't understand because you don't know my friend. And uh, if you knew them like I did, you would love them as much as I do. And that's kind of the picture of Jesus. For those who who have a relationship with Christ, he's precious, he's amazing. But for those who don't have a relationship, they just don't get it. Because they haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Today's message title is, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And we're going to answer that in a minute. In verse 10 it says, Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. I love that. You You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. May God bless his word. So today I want to give you a few snapshots of light. A lot of times in today's culture, we see darkness all around us. And as we study First Peter, we've talked about different things in our culture that seem depressing, seem discouraging. I've realized lately I'm going to have to come, cut back on watching the news because it's filling my mind with negativity. I have to keep a limitation on what I watch on TV. You guys there with me, you turn on the news and you're like, discouraging, discouraging. It seems like I can't watch News 13 without hearing death after death, and this person did this, and I'm like, are there, is there any good news? That probably, for those who are entrepreneurs, that'd be a good idea to start a good news channel, where you have news, but it's, it's mostly positive. I don't know, would you get people to watch it? It seems like people are attracted to negative news. So today, I want to give you something, some encouragement. The first point is this, I'm not afraid of the dark. Because I'm now living a new life and have put my old life aside. I've put aside my old life. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, laying aside malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. A lot of times when you think about your old life, there's negative characteristics that pop up. I was reading a story about this Irish boxer. And he was this great prize fighter. He, He was a champion. 
And all of a sudden, he accepted Christ, and he was a new believer like some of you today. And he was so on fire for the Lord, he decided, you know what, I'm going to set up some evangelistic crusades. I'm going to set up some tents. I want to preach the gospel. The same good news that changed me, I'm going to preach the gospel. So he began to set up this tent in this new town, and there were some thugs around him. And they didn't know this guy's background, that he was a prize fighter. So the thugs kind of pushed him around, and the boxer's like, I, I, I know the, the verse where it says, turn the other cheek, so I'm just going to back away. And sure enough, one of the thugs pressed his luck, and he, he clucked the guy in the face and landed a blow right on his jaw. And this prize fighter instinctually is ready to fight him back because that's what he's known. And he just held out his jaw and turned his face. And the guy, the thug, is like, well, he didn't do anything. So I'm going to hit him again. He hit him again on the other side. And he said, the good Lord gave me no further instructions and threw off his jacket. Watch out. And I think we often are like that when we're a new believer. You know, we go by what we know. And... Uh, when, when this verse says, laying aside all these things, it's the picture of put off, put on. And this is a lesson I learned early in college that stuck with me. A lot of times when you think of bad traits or bad characteristics, you think of stopping a habit, addiction, but you don't replace it with anything. And if you put off something, but you don't replace it with something that's positive, what happens is you pick up something equally bad elsewhere. So, example, let's say if you have a problem with drugs and you're like, okay, I'm going to stop using this drug. Or well, if you don't replace it with something positive, you pick up an equally bad habit, if not another drug addiction. So, instead of using drugs, allow God's presence to fill you. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, whereas excess, except instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so instead of allowing your life to be influenced by substances, allow your life to be influenced by the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, you see that. Materialism, that's a big thing in our culture where we're so brought down by materialism. We want to keep up with the Joneses, right? We want to have the nicer house, the nicer car. And Scripture says instead of focusing on the things of this world that that fades away, instead one positive thing to replace is try to start giving. Because if you're trying to outgive one another, you're not worried about how much you can accumulate. It's, It's okay to have nice stuff, but if you're trying to compete who can have the nicest you get caught in the materialism trap. So instead of focusing on things, focus on being a giver. What about for those of us who struggle with approval from others? You know, we want people to approve us. We want to add a boy, add a girl. Instead of focusing on that, we can replace it with living for an audience of one. We only have one person that we're trying to impress. We only have one person that we're living for. And who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So to highlight a few of these things, the Bible says to replace, the first word is malice. Malice is wishing harm to others. And you say, well, I don't have malice. Well, you may have it in subtle forms where if someone gets a promotion and you're like, man, I should have got that, and you struggle with that, or someone is blessed a little bit more than you and you have this little cringe in your spirit, that's, that's a slow form of malice where you wish harm for others. Another one is deceit. Now you say, well, I don't struggle with deceit. I'm always honest. Well, do you always present the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Or do you present enough just to get you by? Ouch. It's quiet in church today. Envy. Envy is when you want what someone else has so much, you're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Even if it means being a workaholic. Even if it means doing whatever it takes. So 
Peter's saying, listen, these things is the old you, but now you've got to live by the new you. What about evil speaking? Another word for that is slander. Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse? Everyone's quiet in here. <laughs> what is the tendency when you get in an argument? It's to, sometimes you say you get hysterical, sometimes we get historical. We repeat everything they did in the past, and I know I've been guilty of that. And um, my wife in there is laughing, amen. So you see it right here. So if this message is not for anyone, it's for, it's for me today. Because I, as I read this, I'm like, ouch. So instead of these negative traits characterizing you as the believer, notice what it says in verse 2. As newborn babes. I know a few things about babies. We've got three and we've got one on the way. So babies, outside of love and nurturing, they have two major needs. As anybody know, what are they? Diapers, that's one. Okay, change the diapers and milk. Okay, so verse 1 is the diaper that needs to be changed. Pardon the graphic illustration, but it's there. Get rid of, get rid of these things in your life. That's like you've got to put off. Instead, replace it with the pure logos of the word, the pure word, the milk of the word. So it's saying that sometimes we've got to start with the basics before we go into the meat. And uh, Gabriel, we just switched him over to a bottle now, and eventually he's, he's been eating solid foods, and eventually he will minimize the milk and get more substance in his diet. But we didn't start him off that way. He was on milk for the first year of his life, pretty much, and we threw in some vegetables and little things, and we slowly building up his ability to consume more things of substance. Spiritually, when you become a new believer, you've got to get the basics of God's Word. And what are the basics of his word? Well, I'm glad you asked. A few things is the question is, who is God? You know, when you talk about the Trinity, we serve one God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit. That's a basic building block. Um, how do you have right relationship with God? How do you do a daily devotional time with him? That's a basic building block. Um, how do you use your new spiritual gift? We talked about on Wednesday night, if, if you're a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift. How do you use that? That's a building block. How do you live differently now? How has your life changed from verse 1 to verse 2? This used to be the old you, and here's the new you. Those are some things. So an application is if you're a new believer, if you've been a Christian just for a few months or even a few years, don't leave the basics. And as you mature, don't leave the basics. You, you need that daily walk with God. You need to spend time with His Word. Otherwise, you become spiritually anemic. Otherwise, you have that starving, just like a baby's hungry for something, and it's not satisfied. And if you're only fed on Sundays, and perhaps Wednesdays, then you become, as I mentioned, spiritually anemic. I can imagine my son Gabriel, I mean, as soon as he screams, we're like, give him the food. I mean, that, that yeah, he's yelling, and we're like, okay, let's give him some food. For us, when we first became a Christian, we had that spiritual cry, longing for the things of God. But what happened to that? What happened to that longing and thirst for God and His Word? Have we gone away from that? Have we lost the hunger? So never lose that hunger. As soon as you or I lose the hunger, we begin to drift away and we begin to grow cold. What about for the new believer? What about for the mature believer? We talked about the new believer. The mature believer, what about the, the new believers that are coming in? Are you discipling them? Are you finding one person that you can mentor? A few weeks ago, I gave a goal for the church. If everybody this year could reach one person for Christ and disciple them, I think that's a realistic goal, don't you? Everybody reach one person. 
That's what the mature believers need to do is find those who need Christ, reach them, and teach them about the things of God. Tell them your testimony. Verse 3, it says, If indeed that you have seen or tasted that the Lord is gracious. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 8, to taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. So it's saying, you know, you guys in the old life, you had the old wardrobe. Now you had to exchange the old wardrobe for the new set of clothing. Be clothed in Christ. So some of you, you're living in that old wardrobe that Christ already gave you a brand new outfit in him. You're clothed in Christ. But you're still living in verse 1. So he's saying, listen, instead of that, taste and see the Lord is good. Instead of that, hunger for him. So I'm not afraid of the dark because I'm now living a new life and I've put my old life aside. Number two, I have a purpose to build up God's spiritual house. A purpose to build up God's spiritual house. Verse 4, it says, Coming to him, talking about Jesus, as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also are living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. I recently heard the story of a young minister. It's a true story, actually. He went to Oklahoma. And there was this church that had historic significance in that community, but it was declining and it was dying. So this young minister came, and he had stars in his eyes. He's like, I'm going to do this, and we're going to take this city, and we're going to go out door to door. He had all these great plans, but week after week after week, the church maintained the same, and it began to decline. So after several years of just really pushing the church and seeing no results, he tried one last effort to save the church. So in the Saturday's new newspaper, he put out an ad. There's going to be a funeral at this church, and it's the church that has died. So he actually put an ad in the newspaper. He said, come, mourn the loss of this church that has died. So people, you can imagine reading Saturday's funeral section, and instead of a person, it says, this church has died, and we're going to have a memorial service. So the church that next day, it was Sunday after service, it was packed out, standing room only, people outside the door. They had never heard of having a funeral service for a church that has died. So people were standing in the back, looking through the window, and people showed up early, 20, 30 minutes early. And to their surprise, there was a coffin there at the front, and it was closed. And everyone's whispering, what is in the coffin? I mean, dead church, but there's a coffin. I mean, who could be there? Is, is there a member? I mean, they didn't, they didn't know what was going on. So he said, the young minister said, after, after the eulogy, I'm going to allow everyone to come and see what's inside the coffin. I hear the whispering. You're wondering who's, going to, who's inside. I'm going to show you who's inside. So they were like, I wish the pastor would just finish a sermon. Like some of you think some Sundays, just wrap it up. I want to see what's in there. So they marched down. And one by one, the people left just with their face blank, like a ghostly stare. And what the pastor had done is he had put a mirror inside the coffin. So as they walked by, one by one, they saw the church that had died. And they went away with guilty consciousness. And as I read that story, I'm like, wow, it was, it was actually a true story. Not one of these made-up pastor stories. It happened in Oklahoma. It just goes to show that the church is not a building, it's people. And the church doesn't die because the carpet gets old or the pews get worn out. The church dies because the people lose the fire. They lose the passion. They lose the, the hunger and thirst for God and his word. And a church that grows is because the people are growing and living. The scripture says you are like living stones. And I love that beautiful illustration that the church 
in the New Testament, it's no longer a building, but it's a body. I once heard a story about this um, young guy who decided to wear a hat in church. And I can't remember who it was, but I think it was a deacon in the church said, Young man, remove your hat in church right now. And the young guy was a little uh, crafty in what he said. He said, Sir, I'm not wearing my hat in the church. I'm wearing my hat on the church. And he had a little bit better theological understanding that the church is the body. People make up the church. The New Testament church is not a building. It's the body of believers who have been born again. So when you think about that, this building is where we assemble and where we worship God. And then when we go out the doors, that's when church continues on. This is kind of like a huddle. But the game is not played in the huddle. The game is played out there on the field. And that's where we make the biggest difference. So when I, when I think about living stones, it, it's kind of amazing. Now I want you to notice the characteristics about Jesus here. A few highlights. Notice that he's a living stone as opposed to a dead rock. We serve a living, risen Savior. I love that. And it says he's rejected by fallen people, but he's chosen by a perfect God. Whenever you present Christ to people and they reject Christ, notice they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. But for those who know Jesus, he's precious. He's valuable. That's the next thing. He's precious and valuable. And he's loved by God. And he's not just any stone, but he's the chief cornerstone. And if you will build his life, if you'll build your life around Jesus Christ, your world will not crumble when catastrophe hits. So Arden First Baptist, I just want to ask you just by thinking how to apply this. You're either a living stone or you're a rolling stone. You're either going to live for Christ and build up his spiritual body, or are you just going to go from place to place and never be established? Notice it says you're to be building up the spiritual body. All of you have a place. If your stone is removed from this church, we struggle. If your stone is in this church and you're living, you're active, you're building up the body, together we as the church grow. Are you a living stone? Or are you a rolling stone? Are you making a difference? Or are you just showing up and uh, sitting there? God wants the stones that are living and active and changing the world. Amen. Alright, so it gets even more encouraging. Number three, and this is going to be a shocker to some of you. I am a holy priest of God bringing people closer to him. And you're like, wait a second, I'm a priest? Yeah, we're going to talk about this. Look at verse 5. It says, um, it says, as living stones, you're being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. So together as a church collectively, we're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, which is through Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about that. Together, we are a priesthood. So I said this the other Sunday. You can now, if you're a born-again Christian, you can get up in the morning and you say, good morning, Reverend. Good morning, Pastor. I'm getting ready to go to my job, which is actually my mission field, because you are a part of a priesthood. You represent the people to God. And you are there to pray for the people. Now think about that. It's funny, as a pastor, when people find out I'm a pastor, sometimes they're like, ooh, they slip up and say, Cursor. sorry, Pastor, I didn't mean to curse in front of you. I'm like, hey, you're not, it's not, you're not offending me. It's, it's between you and God. But imagine if... The people at your work saw you as a pastor, you as a minister, you as a priest. You think their behavior would change around you if they felt like God's presence? Because you carry the presence with you. Everywhere you go, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit with you. So, when you go to work, 
Who do you take with you? You take God with you. You take the Spirit. Many of you have uh, seen movies about Sparta and the 300. And I heard a story about the king of Sparta. He had invited this king over to his palace. And he was bragging about the, the great walls of Sparta. And the other king looked around and said, I see no walls. Where are these great walls you speak of? And he pointed to one soldier standing on guard. And he said, that soldier over there, these are the rocks of Sparta. These are the walls of Sparta. In the same way, church, you are the living stones. You are what makes up the body of Christ. You are the church. Wherever you live, wherever you work, where you go to school, where you play, you bring church with you. And sometimes we talk about going to church, but you are the church. So you can have church anywhere and everywhere you're at. So think about that. That changes the way you think about life. So everyone has a great mission to play. And here's some things you may not know about yourself in verses 5 through 9. It's not on your outline, but you can take notes. As we mentioned, you're a living stone. Secondly, you're a holy part of a holy priesthood. I mean, that's encouraging. Like, I have a purpose in place. Number three, you're offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. You're like, well, how do I do that? Every time your heart sings to God, just like Elaine and the choir did, when you do that in your daily life, you're offering up sacrifices to God. Whenever you pray for someone that's sick, you're offering up a spiritual sacrifice to God. Whenever you help out someone in need, you're offering sacrifices to God. You may not realize it, but every time you do something good for the right reason, the right purpose for God, in God's sight, you're like a priest offering up incense to God. Doesn't that change the way you think about it? I'm offering up holy sacrifices to the Lord. Number four, under that, uh, you're also his special people. You may not realize this, but God thinks you're special. If, if he had a fridge, your picture would be on his fridge in a magnet form. I mean, God loves you that much. And also, this is a point that I haven't really thought a lot about, but you're part of royalty. And throughout the whole Bible, there's only one person mentioned as that they were both a priest and a king. Does anybody know who it was in the Old Testament? Only one person ever mentioned as serving both offices. Melchizedek, you got it. Hard to pronounce. And most scholars say he wasn't a Jew and he's a symbol of Jesus Christ. So some people say he wouldn't even count. But apart from him, he's the only one that served both as prophet and, excuse me, as priest and as king. No one else could serve the both roles. And whenever they tried to, uh, they got in trouble. You remember when King Saul got in trouble? He was the king and he offered up a sacrifice to God as a priest and God didn't like it. But now in the New Testament, what's interesting, it says you're a royal priesthood. So we're part royal and part priest. And that, that's amazing if you think about that. We serve a role that no one else could serve because we're in Christ. So think about it. Not only can you say, good morning, pastor, good morning, reverend, but you can look in the mirror and say, good morning, lady, whatever your name is. Good morning, sir, Timothy. Because you're now part of the royal line. You're, you're, you're adopted into Christ. So does that change the way you live your life if you realize you're a son or daughter of the king? You're a royal prince, a royal princess in Christ? Does that change the way you live? Does that change the way you think about your life? Does that make you not want to practice verse 1 as we mention those, those certain things? So 
I want you to think about it. If you're part of the royal family, then maybe you should start living like it in your character, your conduct, and the way you carry yourself. You're now a son or daughter of the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? All right. In verse 9, a verse that Elaine read, it says, He has called us out of darkness so that we can do what? Live in His marvelous light. There's no words to describe marvelous light. I, I wish I could do it. The only description I can think of is imagining a young bride coming down the aisle in that white wedding dress. And all the eyes turn to her. And they're also, it's a funny thing, if you'll notice a wedding, they're also looking at the guy. It seems like he's getting, what, what's his response when he sees his radiant bride coming down the aisle? So here's the picture. Before, you were living in complete darkness. Now, when people see God shining through you, it's like this radiant bride walking down the aisle and people are looking at you and like, what just happened to him or her? Their life is completely different. They, I, I remember you back in the day when you were in the club and in the bar and you were like this, but now you're this person? It doesn't make sense. And that's the picture. It says he's called you out of darkness and he's called you into his marvelous light. I once heard a parable a story about this uh, Filipino builder. And he had went to this village and he had built all these homes and he was selling them at $2,000 a home. And that's pretty cheap for that day. But this one guy really wanted to buy this home. He was a beggar. And he went to the builder and said, Sir, I want to buy this house, but I don't have $2,000. So he kept on harassing him day after day after day. And finally, he saved up Enough money for $1,000. He had swept the market, swept the streets. He had done all these dirty jobs, and he saved $1,000. And he went to the gentleman and said, Sir, I'll buy the house for 1000 He said, Listen, it's $2,000. Take it or leave it. Day after day, he kept harassing him. And finally, the guy said, Listen, I will sell you this house if you will let me retain the ownership of this small nail hanging on the door. And he's like, Okay, so the house is mine for 1000 but you own the nail on the door. It's a deal. So several years later, the guy's business crashed, the builder, and he went bankrupt. And all he had left was $1,000. So he went back to the one house that he had sold, and he told the guy, I want my house back. Uh, the economy's crashed. I've lost everything I have. I want my house back. And by this time, the beggar now had a wife and kids Life was great. He's got a happy life, happy wife, happy house. Everything's good. But the, he said, I can't do it. And he's like, listen, I still own the nail. And he's like, well, so what? So he went into the, the yard behind them, and he shot a horse. And he let the horse lay there for several days. And he cut a piece of the horse, and he hung it on the, the door nail, the nail on the door. And he shut the door. And after a few days, the house was horrific. And he says, listen, I want the house back now. And he was able to buy the house back for $1,000 because the house became so horrid with the dead carcass hanging on the doorknob, doornail. And what we can learn from that parable is this. If you give Satan just one little piece in your life, one little nail in your life, he can come back and hang his trash on your life. So when you think about leaving the darkness and going into the marvelous light, don't allow the enemy a foothold in your life. 
Because if you do, he can come back and he can haunt you with things of the past. And some of us have experienced that. So I'm not afraid of the darkness because I'm willing to walk in God's marvelous light. Finally, this is a very important point. I once didn't belong, but now I belong to God's very own family. Look at that last verse and we're, we're finished. It says, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God. Who once had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Some of you remember trying out for sports team in school and didn't make it. One of my worst memories is in seventh grade. I tried out the basket, tried out for the basketball team, and I didn't make it. I'm still crying to this day that I got cut from the team. And the worst case is when you're the kid that gets cut, and you try, you practice, you play, you prepare, and you get cut from the team. And some of you have felt left out. Some of you felt like you don't belong. The good news is if you're in the family of God, I can tell you from now on, you belong. You fit in really good right now, right here. In fact, look at the person next to you and say, you belong. You fit in great here. It says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. So if you're in Christ, if you ever felt marginalized, isolated, you got cut from the team, you felt like you don't belong, Scripture says you belong. You were not a people, but now you're the people of God. So in conclusion, look at the take-home sheet on your outline. The moment you experience God's glorious light, you're no longer satisfied to live in the dark. I'm not afraid of the dark because I live in God's what? Marvelous light. So as you guys go in just a moment to lunch, and you have family time, and you discuss the music, the pastor's sermon, here's some things I want you guys to discuss. Um, This is not your typical table talk, but one is, how are you functioning as a priest for God? I wonder how many have ever asked that question at their house. I haven't yet in my house, so that will be interesting. And number two, and this, this may be something, if you're married, you may have to discuss in private, maybe not in front of the kids, maybe in front of the kids, but what is one area of your life where you're living in darkness? And the Bible says we all have areas that are blind spots, and we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. So what area is there darkness, and how, how can you replace it for something positive, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. A little preview for next week. Sometimes your greatest enemy is your inner me. Sometimes the the war that rages against you, you can blame everybody, but sometimes it's the battle that lies within. Your greatest enemy sometimes is your inner me. So that's next week, so bring a friend. This time we're going to pray. Father, if you'll pray with me. Father, Right now, we thank you for your message from your word. And, and God, I'm, I'm challenged and convicted. And as I confess freely, there's areas here where I so much struggle and so much need your, your grace. And Father, I pray that we would be able to replace those things and those areas in our life with your marvelous light. And right now, as the piano plays, is, is there anyone that would say, Pastor Timothy, Pray for me. There's areas in my life I know that God is working on. And I want to replace the negative with something positive. I want light to radiate in that area of my life. That's you, raise your hand. I'm raising my hands with you. Thank you. Father, you see the hands. God, you know that we're humans. We're just clay. 
God, where we fall short of you, forgive us and your grace fill in the gaps. I pray that we would leave those areas in our life where there is darkness and that we would replace it with Christ's wonderful, marvelous light. So that when people see us, our lives, how we've changed from the darkness to the light, in their mind it would be as beautiful as a radiant bride walking down the aisle. That's the contrast, the difference. Would there be anyone here that would say, Pastor Timothy, today's the day I need to give my life to Christ. The Bible says that you have to make a decision. Just because you've been to church or been baptized or your parents are Christians, it doesn't make you a believer. You have to personally accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you do that by inviting Him into your heart, asking Him to forgive you and give you a brand new life. And as I often say, it's no magic in your words. It's your heart reaching out for God. Would there be anyone here today that would say, Pastor Timothy, today I need to give my life to Christ. That's you. Just raise your hand. No one looking around. I need to give my life to Christ. Father, you see the hearts. Thank you for all that you're doing. And God, we thank you that we can now leave the darkness and walk in your marvelous light. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time, if you'll stand, we're going to have the closing hymn. And if you have a decision you'd like to make, if you need uh, one of the pastors or leaders to pray with you, we'll be at the front. And I want you to know that God loves you like crazy. And he has a great plan for your life.